This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com code SUPER24. Vivek Ramaswamy is making a name for himself. Who the heck is this skinny guy with a funny last name and what the heck is he doing in the middle of this debate stage? Elon Musk has called him a very promising candidate. Joe Rogan says that Vivek guy is very interesting. And Jordan Peterson thinks he is, quote, very rational and very smart, unquote. He's doing well with the Republican public, too, polling third nationally behind Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis for the party's presidential nomination. But not everyone is enamoured with him. Eminem has asked Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy to stop using his music at his campaign events. So who is Vivek Ramaswamy and why is he being called by some Trump 2.0? I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. Well, I was struck watching the debate last week about how how good and how skillful he is, which also makes him, I I think, particularly dangerous because he is he really is a a shameless uh, demagogue. So I mean, he- Charlie Sykes is the editor at large of the Bulwark, the journal of the traditional conservative, never Trump wing of American republicanism. The one thing that that Vivek understands, I think, about uh, the Trumpian Republican Party is that it wants the show. Donald Trump gives them a show. The other Republicans are are still thinking that it's about policy or it's about ideas or it's about, you know, what outrage you can stir up. Vivek is an entertainer, very much in uh, in in the mold of of Donald Trump or at least he he is trying to be. He imagines that he can be. Let's spool back a bit. When did you first become aware of this man? To tell you the truth, I had not actually been paying that much of t- attention uh, to him because I, I thought he was more of a novelty candidate. I still think he's a novelty candidate. I just didn't think that he was going to be that significant a player. But we began hearing reports from Iowa when he was rapping and when he was drawing large crowds that maybe there was a little bit of of buzz, but it really... Quite frankly, um, like a lot of other observers, it really wasn't until the debate that it became obvious that maybe we should take him somewhat seriously, um, you know, for the threat he poses and the kind of 
the kind of bizarre and extreme uh, conspiracy theories that he's willing to embrace more seriously. Let's talk a little bit about his life before he got into politics. And it doesn't have to be a very long conversation because he is only 38. His, his resume isn't all that long. But one very interesting aspect of Vivek's uh, candidacy is that he is not a Christian born to Indian parents, raised uh, in a household and family committed to Hinduism. He's raising his own children in that faith. He grew up in Ohio, where he has said, however, that the predominantly Christian community there had a big influence on him. So am I religious? Yes, I am. I'm Hindu. I'm not Christian. And we are a nation founded on Judeo-Christian values. But here's what I can say with confidence. I share those same values in common. I believe I live by those values more so than many self-proclaimed Christian politicians. So how is he, Charlie, using this part of his background in his campaign? Well, I, I think that this is, 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 is going to be a problem for him in some ways because he has had so many different identities. Uh, he's still trying to figure out who he wants to be when he grows up. Uh, most of the other candidates, for better or worse, I think decided that a long time ago. Vivek is still working on his identity. You know, you mentioned, you know, his his background, which I think makes it more striking that he has been engaging in this performative racism, attacking Nikki Haley's background and making fun of her name. Here to respond to all of that is presidential candidate Nikki Haley. Ambassador, thank you so much for being here and welcome to you. First off, what is your reaction to to that um that Twitter post, keep lying, referencing your your name, um, saying that desperation is growing. I mean, I'm not going to get involved in these childish name games. It's pretty pathetic. So here is somebody who you would think would be more sensitive to some of the differences and the diversity on that stage. But in fact, he is so eager to pander to what he thinks the MAGA audience wants, that he's willing to throw out those kinds of things that would otherwise, you know, just be considered thoroughly deplorable. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to some of those themes and questions that are thrown up. I mean, he obviously excelled as a student. He made it to, you know, preeminent Ivy League school in, in the form of Harvard, where he studied uh, biology. Uh, his politics there, to, to the extent we know about them, were, were broadly libertarian. And in fact, he said he cast his first vote for the libertarian candidate for president. He was also known as a bit of a uh, amateur rapper performing Eminem covers and even uh, rap music with a libertarian theme in the lyrics under the stage name an alter ego De Vake. He actually revived that Eminem act a couple of weeks ago at the Iowa State Fair. I can't imagine them, you know, much used to that. It earned him a whole lot of coverage, not entirely favourable, including, we've been covering this, The Guardian, that uh, Marshall Mathers uh, himself, Eminem himself, sent a notice through his lawyers, essentially a cease and desist order, demanding that Vivek Ramaswamy stop using the music. I mean, what's your critical review of that? 
Well, this is this is this is Vivek the performer. This is Vivek knowing that uh, that the audience wants a show. He hasn't figured out you know which show to give them, but but, I, but you know this is Vivek's strength um, and his weakness as well, which is that he wants to be entertaining. Um, the weakness is uh, that uh, as a result of that, he will say and do things that that might not actually bear up under under scrutiny. But you know, uh, obviously, as an entertaining performer, but he combines that with being a very successful businessman and that obviously has a familiar ring to it the business tycoon come showbiz performer um, which is very obviously very trumpian he has made some pretty serious money he has made some pretty serious money as the new york times reports ramaswamy's talent in his biotech career was for rallying investors drumming up hype around a business venture to raise money from those investors he did it quite successfully multiple times getting multi-million dollar payouts for himself along the way you know and you could see that that he clearly is trying to model himself on the you know the, the donald uh, trump campaign you know what did donald trump do how did he present himself and he's clearly trying to uh, mold himself, uh, you know, to, to be the, the Trump successor. And the contrast between his approach and, say, Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis thinks, I'm just going to be angry. I'm going to punch liberals in the face. Um, I'm going to say the word woke a lot. Vivek's insight is that you have to put on the performance. You need to be outrageous. You need to figure out what are the erogenous zones of, of the right uh, and, and touch them all. And that, that's what we're seeing. That's why the, you know, that's why he burns so bright uh, at the debate. And part of that sort of shtick is the is being the outsider um, and not a regular party mm-hmm. politician. And I do think Brett is going to take an outsider because for a long time we have professional politicians in the Republican Party who have been running from something. Now is our moment to start running to something. He's almost making a virtue of the fact that he didn't even vote in the 2008, 2012, 2016 presidential elections. And as I mentioned, his first vote when he was 19 was for the libertarian candidate. What, what do, I mean, you don't want to overread the vote of a, you know, a man still then a teenager, but what does it tell you that his vote when he cast it was for the libertarian? What does that tell us about him? Well, what it tells you is how far that he's gone and how far that he has come or how far that he has fallen, because he is certainly not stressing libertarian themes right now. Uh, just this week, he was saying that, you know, had he been vice president, he would have refused to uh, certify the presidential election, you know, unless everyone agreed to restrict voting, etc. Here's what I would have said. We need single day voting on election day. We need paper ballots and we need government issued ID matching the voter file. And if we achieve that, then we have achieved victory and we should not have any further complaint about election integrity. So what would, so what I would, would have you driven have done it through the Senate? So what would you have done as, with Mike Pence? You would have so not my certified the election? So in, in my capacity as president of the Senate, I would have led through that level of reform. Then on that condition, certified the election results. So, I mean, again, here's somebody who is is just trying to figure out which position um, will work best for him. You know, he is the outsider. He is the performer. But whether or not he's the real deal, whether he is authentic, is is a, is a really big question. I mean, I was thinking that partly what remains of that vestigial libertarianism is this war he promises on the government bureaucracy, uh, which some have said is a kind of 
inversion of FDR, Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. Uh, and he wants to set about demolishing yeah. the federal government. One of his sort of applause lines is where he lists government agencies, a whole lot of agencies represented with three letters. And he says he's going to, you know, liquidate the lot of them. Is that a kind of libertarian streak of politics? Or am I making uh, the rookie error of actually taking seriously what this man says? Well, I think, you know, probably in his mind, it is a little bit of a reach back to that. But of course, the way that it plays right now, it is more the, you know, chaos, burn it down, uh, attack the deep state uh, mood of of the party. And and again, the question is how seriously to take him since, since he will say one thing on Wednesday and then deny saying it on Friday and then taking a completely different position on Monday. I mean, this is one of the problems is that he spent much of the last week or week and a half actually trying to change his positions or explain his positions or flat out lie about what he said before. Caitlin, with due respect, that's a joke. I will not allow someone to put words in my mouth We're to say putting, that I ever said that was okay, sufficient. It I'm is not. I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm simply asking <laughs> about something you Caitlin. said. We played a quote that, that you've made. Speaking of another and it's getting to the point where even the folks from Fox News are going, OK, wait, you just said, for example, you want to defund Israel. No, I didn't. Well, here's the tape. Here's exactly what you said. Um, and, and, and this puts this big question mark over, you know, who he is, what he actually believes. You know, I suppose you could say that it's, you know, quasi-libertarian to take the pro-Vladimir Putin position that he has been taking, but his ideas on foreign policy, I think, are just sort of more scattershot than they reflect any sort of a deeply thought out philosophy or understanding of the world as it exists. That point about his shifting positions on foreign policy and perhaps tying it to his inexperience was picked up on by one of his opponents, Nikki Haley, in the debate uh, the other day where she said, you have no foreign policy experience and it shows. But on this point of experience, uh, it is instructive and sort of in some ways a little bit of ironic that on social media there is now a video of him doing the rounds. There was a clip circulating on social media of a 2003 presidential town hall on MSNBC's Hardball with Chris Matthews. Questioning then Democratic candidate, the Reverend Al Sharpton, who was a guest on the podcast here just a, a few weeks back, saying that, uh, you know, how could someone like Al Sharpton run for president with so little political experience? And the man asking the question was a young Vivek Ramaswamy. Let's just hear that. Uh, last week on the show, we had Senator Kerry. And this week and, and the week before, we had Senator Edwards. And my question for you is, of all the Democratic candidates out there, why should I vote for the one with the least political experience? Well, you shouldn't, because I have the most political experience. So, Charlie Sykes, um, there's Vivek Ramaswamy saying you can't ha run for this high office without sufficient political experience. I notice you chuckling. Well, because, you know, th this is the pattern of Vivek then versus Vivek now and his, his willingness to completely shed uh, any position that he held before. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, this is one of the reasons why I, 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 I doubt his staying power. Now, having said that, Donald Trump has broken the glass on what is considered an acceptable politician in America. I mean, Donald Trump did not serve in the military, served in no political office before being elected to the presidency, uh, you know, clearly had a background in entertainment um, and, and a long history of bizarre and contradictory positions on a variety of issues, including, you know, issues that are, you know, really the hot button issues like abortion. And yet he was able to win the Republican nomination to be elected president. 
So someone like a Vivek is looking at is is looking at Donald Trump and thinking, okay, so the entire model of what you need to be a president, what our idea of the qualifications for the presidency have been completely shattered. And and I'm going to step into this this void. In many ways, he is a product of our political culture, of the post-Trump political culture that we find ourselves with and will find ourselves with for some time now. prompts, though, this question, which has been rattling around in my mind ever since um, Ramaswamy came onto my radar, and that is, why is he running against Donald Trump? It's easy to forget that, because on that debate stage uh, last week, there was uh, a whole variety of other candidates who weren't Donald Trump. But officially, just by entering the Republican primary, you are challenging the frontrunner, Donald Trump. Given everything you've said about the similarities between them, why is he running against Donald Trump? And have you been able to identify anything he actually disagrees with Trump on? Such a good question. And I think this is the tell, that he's not running against Donald Trump. Uh, There are no issues uh, in which he disagrees with Donald Trump. If anything, he is trying to position himself as being more Trump than Trump. So this is one of the uh, indicators that, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy is not really running for president, that he's running for fame or for a cabinet position or for something else. Because clearly, um, if if he was running against Donald Trump, he would not be behaving and acting the way he is. And also Donald Trump does not think that he's running against Donald Trump. Donald Trump hates people who run against him, correct? Except he has been lavishing uh, Ramaswamy with uh, with praise because he is he's a useful tool for him at this particular point. But I think this is this is one of the indicators of kind of the the fakeness of of all of this. That if he really does think, and and by the way, you know you know the uh, the eye rolling you know cringeworthy remark that Donald Trump was the greatest president of the twenty first century, and yet you're running against him. Obviously, that doesn't add up. Where do you think, because the, the, there is some support for Ramaswamy, the polls, national polls are showing just, you know, he's getting a few percentage points. He's got himself into that coveted third spot behind Ron DeSantis, even at snapping at Ron DeSantis's heels to be in, in the number two spot. Do you think he is siphoning off support from anti-Trump Republicans, like so many of the others in the process, or potentially siphoning off support from Trump himself. As you said, he's trying to be more Trump than Trump. Is it possible that some of his support is actually coming from Trump voters who think he might be the new great thing? Possibly. I, I mean, I, I, I think that he's positioned himself to be a good second choice. You know, if you were to you know go to Iowa and ask Trump voters, uh, you know, if, 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 if not Trump, then who? His name comes up all the time. So as, as, as a number two. Uh, but look at this from Donald Trump's point of view. The, the longer and the more that we are talking about Vivek Ramaswamy, um, the, the more um, we are not talking about somebody like, for example, Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or the possibility of Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin getting in this race. So he, he really is a, is a major asset for the, the, the Trump campaign at this, at this point. And, that, and I think that's the way Donald Trump sees it. I also wanted just to put to you something which I read and I thought was interesting, that part of the appeal of Ramaswamy is that he comes from the very demographic 
that Republicans, and particularly MAGA Republicans, Trump-supporting Republicans, would in some ways despise, but would certainly feel despised by, namely that he is an Ivy League uh, educated, uh, you know, tech uh, millionaire. His business, his biotech business was based in uh, Manhattan and wrote Michelle Goldberg in the New York Times, conservative audiences want the satisfaction of hearing their resentments affirmed by a defector from the culture of the coastal gentry. She is precisely right. And and you look at uh, many of the other MAGA-era stars like Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley or J.D. Vance or even Ron DeSantis. What do they all have in common? They are all products of the Ivy League who've decided to sort of put on the, the populist garb. Uh, and, uh, and, and somehow um, this is not held against them. I mean, the fact that Donald Trump, who lives in this gilded palace with the golden toilets, is somehow regarded as the champion of the working man. <laughs> Gives you an indication of how this formula works, how bizarre it is. But, but yes, um, I do think that that is that it, that is part of his appeal. What well, certainly is not held against him at this point. Um, I stress at this point because things move quickly and there are there's opposition research. And, and right now, as you and I are are are, are speaking. All of the knives are out for Vivek Ramaswamy. The one thing that united everybody on that stage was they all hate Vivek Ramaswamy. And so they're they are, they're all coming for him right now. Yeah, and a lot of the commentary was describing him as annoying and he was like a little upstart and a pipsqueak. And, you know, in the past, I might have thought, well, that means that's curtains for him. It made me think, as soon as I saw this conventional wisdom solidify against him, it made me think, yeah, we probably need to take him uh, a bit seriously because the conventional wisdom so often gets this wrong. I mean, just without being too sort of meta about this, I'm just thinking about our conversation. And there is a little bit of me that does worry that even by the very fact that you and I are talking about him and we're devoting this week's podcast to him, that this actually in some ways means that the Ramaswamy and before him the Trump manoeuvre kind of works, that we are rewarding candidates saying outrageous, sometimes even offensive things um, by giving them uh, what Margaret Thatcher famously called the oxygen of publicity. Cards on the table, we're doing it, but have the media, of which we're obviously a part, you know, walked into a trap. Have we just played <laughs> Ramaswamy's game here? Well, I, obviously, yes, to a certain extent. Who, who who turns in the most outrageous performance at the debate? It's Vivek Ramaswamy, who is generating all of the buzz afterwards. Well, it's Vivek Ramaswamy. And and it's interesting that, that he still is generating this buzz, despite the fact that, as you pointed out earlier, Nikki Haley absolutely demolished him. Uh, later in the debate, the one exchange where um, he was taken apart for his uh, lack of coherence on on foreign policy. You have no Let foreign me... policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? The, the foreign policy... Would have been devastating, and I think uh, campaign ending for any other candidate. But because of his willingness to say anything and be more entertaining than anyone, he's been able to extend his. Uh, his five minutes of fame. Part of it is presumably also the policy robustness, as he might call it, extremism, others might call it, of his positions. He has this line about the 10 truths, God is mm -hmm. real, there are two right. genders, human flourishing requires fossil fuels. He sets them out like sort of 10 commandments. He's uh, very successful 
asset management company markets itself, Strive Asset Management, as anti-woke. In other words, it says you can invest in things. It's almost the opposite of sort of ethical investment. You can invest in things that are not woke. Um, and he has, uh, you know, particularly talked about racism, describing race-based affirmative action as a cancer, says the people who stormed the Capitol on January the 6th were suppressed and so on. I'm just wondering if part of the appeal is that there is no position too extreme for him, in some ways more extreme even than Donald Trump. Well, this is what I meant before when I said, you know, he, he touches on all the hot buttons. You know, the fact that he, he lays out those 10, you know, every one of those, you know, punch the ticket for every single incendiary belief of, of the MAGA movement. The climate change oh, whoa, agenda whoa, whoa, whoa. is a That's hoax. Just ridiculous. The climate change agenda is a hoax. And we have to declare independence for it. And you can tell that he's very, very conscious about it. Uh, it feels almost focus group, uh, the kind of thing that, that you know, in a conservative talk show would generate the most reaction, each and every one of them. They're, they're not robust policy positions, but they're very, very robust in terms of pandering to what the base wants. And he clearly went in there figuring, you know, how, you know, how many flares can I send up that I am one of you, that I, that I am willing to say these outrageous transgressive things just like you. And to a certain extent, he succeeded. When he had to engage in a debate about substantive policy, he fell flat on his face. But his goal was to punch every one of those tickets, which he did. Charlie, let's assume that we're both right and he doesn't get the Republican nomination. Uh, where do you anticipate next seeing Vivek Ramaswamy? Where does he pop up next? Oh, I, I think we're going to see a lot of him. I think that he's going to be a regular um, on uh, right-wing media. I would not be surprised if he became a Fox News regular, maybe even a host. Uh, he'll write more books. Uh, he'll be uh, in demand at uh, you know conservative rallies for some time. He may run for United States Senate. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen that you know people like uh, J.D. Vance can parlay a certain amount of celebrity, actually much less than what Vivek has right now into a seat in the United States Senate. Uh, so given his age and his ambition and his profile, um, I think that, that uh, he's going to find a way uh, to take this, uh, this campaign and to uh, use it to market himself in a variety of different ways. Charlie, you know that we always like to ask our guests on the podcast a what else question, something a bit different. On Wednesday evening, footage came of a press conference given by the Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, 81 years old, in which he appeared for the second time to freeze, just to be there um, silently sort of staring ahead. It came actually just as a reporter had asked him what his plans were for seeking potential re-election as the senator for Kentucky. As I say, it had happened before. It's raised these questions about the age of the Senate Majority Leader. What did you make of it? Well, it was very painful to watch. Uh, there's no question about it, watching what, what happened uh, with with Mitch McConnell. And obviously, the consequences are incredibly grave politically. Uh, he's a, a dominant figure in the United States Senate, plays a huge role uh, in the Republican uh, Party. You certainly hope that there are people who love him, people who are around him, um, you know, staff and family, uh, who will get him the best medical attention um, and will give him good advice. But, uh, you know, this this is a problem when 
you have um, a political gerontocracy, which we have in this country. And I think it's a warning because how many times are these stories going to dominate our headlines? Uh, it, it, it is, I feel in many ways, it's, it, it's also kind of a warning because American politics could be absolutely upended by a similar incident next year. If this happened to Joe Biden, all bets are off. Charlie Sykes, thanks so much for talking with us for Politics Weekly America. Thank you very much. And that is all from me for this week. Moving away from America and from politics, Shante Joseph, host of our sister podcast, Pop Culture, will be taking the show to the stage. The event, which will take place on Sunday, September 17th at 2pm, during the London Podcast Festival here at King's Place. We'll see Shante talk to the matchmaking expert, entrepreneur and TV host, Paul C. Brunson. The pair will discuss the dynamics of TV dating, the key to a successful relationship, and how pop culture plays a significant role in our love lives. It will also be available to live stream around the world. So if you want to buy tickets for that, there'll be a link in today's episode description on the Guardian website. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Daniel Stevens. The executive producer is Joshua Kelly. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.